0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Wellness Plus podcast. This is your guest host, Ryan, speaking. Uh, Thanks for tuning in today. As always, the podcast today is brought to you by... Our Psyche Truth patrons, as well as the Psyche Truth Yoga Plus app. So, thank you very much to those sponsors for helping us keep the podcast going. Uh, today, we have Dr. Dan Engel, author of the Concussion Repair Manual. On. Uh, Dr. Dan is board certified in psychiatry and neurology, and he has a clinical practice that combines functional medicine, integrative psychiatry, and peak performance methods uh today we uh we talked a lot about concussion repair co- uh, recovering from traumatic brain injuries we also talked about uh dealing with anxiety depression and kind of figuring out what's going on in your life so it was a super super cool conversation i hope you guys enjoy it uh i think this will be really really relatable to anyone out there, whether you've had concussions or traumatic brain injuries, PTSD, you experience anxiety, or maybe you're just really trying to optimize your brain function and your overall life. So amazing conversation. Uh, I really hope to get Dr. Dan back on the podcast sometime because it, I think we really only just kind of brushed over the tip of the iceberg with him it seems like he has so much awesome information to share so make sure you got a pen and and paper out and you're listening because there's a lot of awesome stuff in this one all right guys enjoy the podcast and hello Dr. Dan. Hey, it's good to be with you today. Hi, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'm really excited to have you on here and so we can kind of get to talk about TBI and concussions and really just a really wide range of mental health issues that I feel like are getting really, really um, important nowadays. Um, So really thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I wanted to start off by maybe just kind of getting a little background on you and how you got into this field and what kind of led you to the studies of, you know, TBIs and all that.
1: Yeah, sure. Ryan. Uh, like we were talking about just a few minutes ago, I went to St. Ed's and played soccer from geez, four up to 22 and um, skateboarded, snowboarded, just did a lot of reckless things and ended up with about six really bad concussions. Oof. And the uh, fifth one happened two weeks before medical school, dove off a pier, uh, landed in knee high water on my crown, and broke my neck. Sure. And my sixth one happened towards the end of my medical training. I got turned upside down in a snowboard park. My goggles had frosted over, and it was kind of a gray day. So I couldn't see how many jumps were ahead. And, um, hit the first one, clipped the second one, and then head dove into the third one and put a six-inch crack in the back of my helmet and started having really bad post-concussive syndrome. And that was about 20 years ago. And the neurologists that I was seeing at the time, who many of which were my training physicians and teachers, uh, essentially all said the same thing, which was, yeah, we can tell you smashed your head. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, so go home, get some rest and we hope it gets better. Cause we really don't have treatments for post-incussive syndrome, which I thought was just ludicrous. And so I spent the next close to 20 years in the laboratory figuring out how to get my brain back online. Cause I knew just inherently that there were treatments out there. I just knew that, um, I couldn't rely on the allopathic. Uh, medical model to help me find them, so I had to go out and look for them myself.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you you have a extremely, I mean, direct relationship with the you know concussions and I mean TBIs in general. Then,
1: yeah, yeah, intimately. And then because I broke my neck right before medical school, it really got me into brain and mind science versus I was going to go into surgery or ER medicine. Uh, because they're really action-oriented. You can tell if you get the job done. It's very quick, hands-on kind of procedure-oriented process. Uh, but after I wore a halo for three months, screwed into my skull, and it finally slowed me down, I realized, you know, I don't really want to run the rest of my life at that pace. It wasn't super. It was super productive, but it wasn't super satisfying. Mm -hmm. And so I slowed down and just got interested in other things and found myself really drawn to psychiatry and neurology.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, One thing I also kind of was thinking as I, I mean, I was reading your book and going through, obviously a lot of it's directly kind of, I guess, targeted towards people that have had these TBIs or concussions. But even beyond that, I feel like any, really anybody can get a lot out of the information that you share in that book, just because it seems like you don't necessarily have to have, you know, a concussion or a huge hit to the head to necessarily be building up, um, you know, toxins or, you know, kind of starting to degrade things inside your brain. Is that, is that correct?
1: Yeah, it's true. Most of the same things that help the brain heal also help the brain optimize. Mm Mm-hmm so you don't necessarily have to have a wrecked brain in order to use a lot of the same mechanisms therapeutic interventions even treatment devices what we typically do is if somebody's coming through the doorway of healing versus optimization we just tweak the variables maybe change the sequence or the order of which we do things or get them into a level of stabilization and then gradually work themselves to a place of rehabilitation. Because if the brain is wrecked and somebody's metabolic threshold is low, which means they can't tolerate a whole lot of exercise, otherwise they get worsening symptoms, then you really have to stabilize them and work them up slowly. Versus if somebody's already in a pretty good spot, then they might be able to tolerate a huge amount of neurologic input and do relatively well with it. So it's very client-specific, individual-specific, but ultimately, at the end of the day, the therapeutic devices and the treatment um, points of protocol or the ingredients would essentially be the same. We just get more sophisticated in how we put that recipe together
0: right right yeah and that's what i think is really cool is that it can truly apply to anyone because everybody i think can find ways to like said kind of optimize their their brain and overall health um beyond what they're doing right now even if they haven't experienced one of these traumatic brain injuries And I feel like a lot more people have probably experienced some kind of TBI uh, without them necessarily realizing it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Um,
1: The party line used to be, well, you had to have a concussion. I mean, you had to have a loss of consciousness in order to be diagnosed with a concussion. And that's not true at all. mm -hmm. It wasn't true then. It's not true now. A lot of people have significant concussions without losing consciousness. It typically includes an altered state of consciousness, like you get your bell rung and you kind of forget where you're at and what's happening and maybe even like what just happened, or you feel wobbly or dizzy or a little woozy, or it's really hard to orient um yourself in space. So all of those are altered experience mm-hmm. hold to the right. baseline. But you don't have to have a complete loss of consciousness. Right, right. At the end of the day, everybody wants to have an awesome brain, and we can see the accelerated epidemics of neurologic challenge and uh, neurodegenerative conditions, and the fact that there's a hardware and a software issue that's happening in parallel. So, hardware is brain and body, software is mind and heart so the hardware epidemics are things like dementia which continues to accelerate the neurodegenerative suite just continues to accelerate and you have this whole software or psychological level of epidemic in our culture which is depression anxiety ptsd addiction emotional and chronic pain and when and, and these things are highly overlapped because the hardware system is going to affect the software and the software is going to affect the hardware. So you really have to know how to treat each of them. And when you look at those levels, neurology and psychology, you also have to look at metabolic, which means how's the body's gut function, how's the immune system, and how are the hormones. And if you haven't looked yeah. at all of that, then you haven't looked at the whole puzzle.
0: Right, right. Yeah, and that's something I really like about kind of everything you were talking about in the book as well. Um is just that it's an extremely holistic approach where you're kind of assessing the issues from, you know, various angles, uh, so that you're really making sure that kind of all the bases are covered and you're it's really more so more than just brain health. It's like your full body all kind of because it all works together. So you're really getting everything basically firing on all c- cylinders you know if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's cool. uh, that's um, the opportunity we have and and we're seeing that more and more with this movement from just straight allopathic medicine into more integrative and functional medicine. We start to look at the yeah. whole and how we can bring all of this together.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um and that that was, yeah, that, that's something that I think is, I'm, I'm really thankful that it's really starting to grow and become a lot more common now, because kind of like you were saying back when, you know, it used to be getting your bell rung or you had to lose consciousness. Um, and now it's, it's kind of being looked at in, in a totally different light, which is, which is good, but it, I feel like there's still a lot more room to grow in that regard, just because I know, especially coming from an athlete's perspective, it's it is extremely difficult to kind of experience some kind of you know blow to the head um, and accept that you're going to have to really rest and pull back when you know you you know you really want to finish the game or whatever you know whatever the circumstance is.
1: Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. I was such a freaking knucklehead <laughs> in competitive <laughs> athletics, especially moving up through high school age and the Olympic development team and then college and international travel and playing at an accelerated level of competition, I would get smashed and I would smash other people and I would just keep trucking through it. Even if I got my there was only one time, I mean I, I probably had, I don't know, three, four dozen unreported concussions. Right. The only one that was reported Was when I got hit so hard from about four feet away into a full volley right on my temple. And um, I got spun totally around. I don't (laughs) know because the other guys were telling me what happened. But I got spun totally around and I just stood there. I didn't know (laughs) who I was. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know why everybody was running around and yelling. And I didn't know why I was wearing this funny outfit. And it was just this like, whole come to Jesus moment. I actually got on the sideline and I started crying. I had had never freaking cried on the side of the field, especially in front of other people. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I was so just like knocked out of any sense of control that it really scared me. And it was the first time I had had that happen before, wrecking on my skateboard and smashing into a pole and dive, kind of dive bobbing headfirst into a tree. Um, So there there were things where I'd like really gotten pretty wrecked, but nothing where I completely lost sense of who I was. And then I got on the line, and it, it didn't come back for about 10, 15 minutes. And then phew. at that, point, I started thinking, "Huh, you know this this veil between my sense of control is actually really thin. I actually have control of very little in my life, including the times when I'm driving, you know this ton, this half-ton vehicle like a screaming missile down the highway, and if I blow a tire or somebody else just does something silly." That could be it. Game over. And so I started just getting really mindful at that point of this preciousness of life. And sometimes that's what it takes. It takes a big wake-up call, especially when we're young and stupid, to get a bit more of a, of a careful kind of engagement with life. And, you know, that being said, after after that one, I still had three major concussions um, a couple of the ones I just mentioned to you from breaking my neck and then snowboarding. But you know, I also think there's this line between how much, especially if we're competitive athletes and we're just used to driving, you turn that off and you can spend you can send somebody into major depression just by doing that alone. Like if you turn off somebody's excitement for life and their thirst and hunger for really getting a lot out of, um, putting ourselves in adventurous situations that, that, um, throttle, which oftentimes drives dopamine and drives our neurotransmitters and our like fulfillment and excitement for life and drives hormone potential. You don't have something to replace that. You can spiral somebody out into a really challenging experience of Reclaiming a new identity, and that's what we've seen in our clinics when athletes are told to not compete again because if they do, they're going to really risk something, which can be true. But if somebody's identified as an athlete and their their level of physiology is driven by that level of excitement then it's really up to us as practitioners and family of support and the clients and the athletes themselves to figure out, okay, what's the middle ground? Because if you've been, if your foot's been standing on the accelerator and that's obviously continuously putting you in dangerous situations and that's not a good idea versus moving you over to like monk mode or a couch potato <laughs> There's got to be a sweet spot in the middle. And that's oftentimes where the lifestyle management comes in.
0: Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's definitely, uh, it's a really fine balance for people that are, that, like you say, um, you know, oftentimes that sport or whatever it is, that physical activity is, is almost become a, a really important part of their identity. So having to. Pull away from that in, I mean, it can be extremely difficult for people, um, despite it maybe being what's best for your health. So I think it's, I mean, it's really cool that you guys are able to kind of um, try and find that middle ground, because I do think it is extremely important to make sure that if you're going to take away that, I mean, that huge part of someone's life that has been essentially one of their main forms of fulfillment, I mean, it needs to be, there needs to be found like an, uh, an, a replacement that's able to at least somewhat fill that void and give them um you know that that sense of fulfillment still
2: yeah
3: the podcast you are listening to was brought to you by wellnessplus.tv a subscription service empowering you with everything you need to take control of your health and happiness sign up for your free trial today to watch the video version of this episode and all our podcast episodes Plus, you'll gain access to our extensive library, including hundreds of follow-along yoga and fitness courses, massage therapy tutorials, weight loss information, guided meditations, educational health videos, and so much more. Feel better, look better, and live better today by visiting wellnessplus.tv.
0: Yeah, and then so, so with, um, with, with dealing with these patients that come in with with TBI and concussion syndrome, um, is it, is it pretty common that somebody comes in and they're more so complaining about just general headaches and they haven't necessarily had any kind of, um, you know, major blow to the head, at least recently. And so it's more likely that they probably have been dealing with this issue for, you know, years on years and they just never realized it.
1: Uh, yeah, I can certainly present that way. <clears throat> sometimes sometimes. Uh, You know, another fascinating kind of feature about brain science and trauma work is that you don't actually have to have a massive hit to the head to have a concussion. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people get concussions by a really fast acceleration, deceleration injury. So like if you're a passenger in a car and you've got a seatbelt on and you're your buddy is not paying attention or the person in front of you is not paying attention or you're on ice or whatever happens in the circumstances, you end up in a head-on collision and you go really quick from speeding to stopping, then your brain essentially wobbles around in your skull and can go from moving really fast to stopping and you get this shearing force. It's kind of like if you're um skating really if you're ice skating really fast and you go from fast to stop, you're going to dr- you're going to have to like really carve into the ice to get to a place of stopping and everything that you look back on in the sh- kind of the tracks that you made in the ice are all of that shearing force. So right. if the tissue itself is doing that shearing force, that's when you get a lot of the injury. So Some people think, well, I didn't hit my head, so I don't have a concussion, or I didn't lose consciousness, so I don't have a concussion. But then, so the summary statement is, well, I'll just keep doing what I was doing originally because the injury must not be that bad. Well, then what happens after that is if people don't heal or rest or they have another injury, the worst thing you can do to a concussed brain is get another concussion right away. Because then you have an exponentially worsened effect. And so if somebody is thinking, well, I didn't have a bad injury or I.E., I got smashed in the first half. I'm going to go back into the second half and be just fine. And they get smashed again. Now they've got a really big issue. Yeah. So that's a a return to play issue. And that's why a lot of the pro athletic agencies are really putting in specific return to play assessments. Therapeutics and measurements to see and identify when people have been concussed and when it's safe to go back in. Right. So once it's safe to go back in, great. Then let's make sure that that's done mindfully and safe as well. We're just catching up to the unfortunate experience that's happened with a lot of pro athletes over the last really 100 years, but even. Going back to that, anytime somebody is putting their brain on the line for um, some type of payment, right? If you're doing it for like safety of your family, then it's going to have to happen because that's just a survival instinct. If you're doing it for war or for professional athletics or for some kind of other payment, then... It can be too um, attractive to get back into that kind of role before one's ready because alt- oftentimes um, like paychecks are on the line. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, you've got more pro athletes who are paying more attention and are actually starting to um, opt out of long-term contracts if, they're, um, if they've had too many concussions because they've seen what's happened to other players. Yeah. And The long term benefit, the long term detriments look really bad. You get you essentially accelerated dementia, or what's called uh, CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, and um, no one wants that. And I saw, I saw three of my grandparents die with neurodegeneration. Both my mom's parents had dementia, and my dad's dad had Parkinson's.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: I kind of got woken up not only to my own concussions. But I also got woken up by the fact that I saw people I loved and was really close to go downhill and it was not a pretty picture. Nerd's degeneration is not a pretty picture. And when you see the effects up close and personal, um, it's hard to deny those. And when you when you get the sense that you're headed in that trajectory, it's a big wake up call.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's um, it is. It's very scary to see people kind of go down that path and it's really difficult for i think the you know the family and the loved ones of those people that kind of go through that um obviously it's really really difficult for them as well but especially i think on the people you know your loved ones that have to kind of like you said watch watch that happen it's a very difficult thing to see
1: um mm-hmm.
0: and that's even more reason for i think people to really try and be cognitive of you know trying to prevent that at all costs. Um, so when, when, when someone comes in, uh, what, what's kind of some of the f- first initial protocol you guys go through when kind of identifying maybe the severity of their, of their injury or anything along those lines?
1: <clears throat> well, to, um, to highlight the question that you asked last, which was if somebody comes in with a variety of nebulous symptoms, okay I have the door open there's a big helicopter going over Um, (laughs) no worries if somebody comes in with with some fairly nebulous neurologic symptoms then we need to understand through history taking where was the causative injury how did that influence the rest of their body systems and what else might be underneath those symptoms that we need to look at so Usually people find us because they're having a neurologic condition. And that could be post-concussive syndrome, and there's a variety of different symptoms that, that express themselves as PCS. That could be neurologically, like I'm having a hard time uh moving my body as well as it used to, reaction time, speed, focus, precision. Um, it could be headaches, dizziness, vision changes. It could be emotional. So my moods are up and down. I'm more irritable um, or I'm depressed or anxious. It could be more cognitive or um, brain performance. Like I can't remember things as well as I used to. Short-term or long-term memory or focus and concentration are affected. Uh, My speech is a little slurred. Or it could be in the social arena. I don't want to be around people. Um, there's way too much environmental stimuli that overloads my system. Light noise sound sensitivity is another common neurologic presentation that we see. So all these are fairly nebulous symptoms when you start putting it into the context of the fact that, oh, yeah, I've smashed my brain playing collision sports a number of times. or Or even like, wow, you're right. Last year, shoveling the driveway, I slipped on ice, fell back, hit my head. I had a headache for about a week, but it kind of got better over time. I didn't really think about it, but that was, now that I think about it, it was kind of, yeah, like early last winter. And winter was really bad. It was had a lot of depression. I didn't want to do things as much as I had in the past. Well, you know, so you gotta paint this picture of what was the cause of a factor. But even when you do that, it still might be that somebody's hormones have been chronically dysregulated, or their gut function's been chronically poor. In a setting of irritable bowel syndrome or Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis or um, chronic um, chemical sensitivities or chronic multiple food allergies or these kind of things that set themselves up for the gut-brain connection to be affected. Maybe their gastrointestinal lining is pretty irritated. They don't absorb nutrients as well as they could. So even if they've been taking all the right things in supplement form and nutrition, they might not be getting or extracting as much of that nutritional potential as possible. Um, And maybe their immune system is disrupted. We see a lot of people with chronic neurologic conditions because their immune systems downregulated or hypersensitive or um, off from its optimal expression. So it could be hyper aroused because of an acute infection, or it could be really chronically uh, dysregulated because of an old infection that's just been lingering in the background, like Epstein-Barr virus or cytomegalovirus. These are in the herpes virus families and lead to things like mononucleosis, which is, chron- which is consistently connected to the expression of chronic fatigue syndrome. So if somebody comes in with a neurologic condition and they have this also nebulous kind of diagnosis called chronic fatigue syndrome, or something like fibromyalgia, oftentimes there's an immune system or an infectious etiology connected to it. So you have to be able to assess it at all levels. So somebody comes in, we get a full history, we start doing lab work, and we get specific with the labs, you know, with our general labs to order. And then through the history and the examination, we get more specific with additional specific labs because not everybody wants a five to $10,000 lab workup. Right. So we get specific with the labs, done the history, then we do the physical exam and we have a variety of different functional uh, diagnostic exams to put them through as well. And that's through the neuro rehab suite. So this is looking at people's posture, um, their balance, how they hold themselves in space. How they are able to perform tasks with accuracy, um, with precision, with complex movements, with speed, with being able to shift from one task to another, um, and tracking their eye movements with something called video nystagmography. So there's a lot of different diagnostics and history taking that paints this more full picture. That's the art of medicine. Um, yeah. Ideally, medicine itself is looking at all of those kind of various factors in its given field, but it's also appreciating the fact that allopaths or any particular form of medicine doesn't have the whole picture usually. So it's it's beneficial to have an interdisciplinary team. I'm an allopath or an MD by trade, but I also work with chiropractors and DCS by trade, as well as osteopaths or DOs. And some of my earliest mentors were naturopaths and Chinese medicine docs and chiropractors. So I've appreciated the fact that there's a lot of different uh, forms of medicine that each have their place, and when we understand how to work with each of them, then we have a more sophisticated system.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think it's really I mean it's great to be able to utilize all these different forms of medicine like you're talking about, because obviously they all have their strengths and they all have, like you said, their place. So it's, I mean, it just seems like a, you know, why wouldn't you utilize all of these different types of medicine to really fully understand, um, you know, the issues that are, that are at play here. And so we can really get to healing and, you know, improving the entire system, not just one isolated portion of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, so once once you guys have you know gotten that that entire diagnosis d- diagnostic you know um, wave of you know all those different di- diagnoses finished up, uh, is there a is there kind of a normal protocol as to you know how you you begin that that recovery? Because um, obviously I know if if it was a recent impact to the brain, they often say that you know rest and. Is the most important thing, um, but what what about for people that maybe had sustained that head injury, you know, a long time ago? Essentially,
1: I'm a fan of getting the nervous system back in action as soon as possible, but it has to be done on a level <clears throat> that the client's able to tolerate. So yes, rest is super important, and. There's also therapeutic rehabilitative exercises to do that accelerate the healing potential. So we have to toggle it to the level of tolerance. And that is this term that I was using before called metabolic threshold mm-hmm. and their cognitive capacity and where they're even starting prior to injury, in their cognitive reserve. And <clears throat> when we put people through, a therapeutic process, we tend to uh, have people for two weeks at our center. So it, some people would describe that as an intensive outpatient procedure um, protocol. And the reason we do that is because we can really accelerate gains in a two-week window. Most of are able to tolerate two weeks of therapy pretty well. Uh, we found that once we get into the third week or the fourth week and beyond, people have kind of hit a saturation or a plateau. Mm-hmm. Some people only come for a week if that's all they're able to tolerate. We found like two weeks is about our sweet spot.
2: Okay. And
1: it's usually about six to eight hours a day. And it's a combined level of services. Half of the day is usually in the neuro rehab suite. And that's got eight different stations everything from hyperbaric oxygen to transcranial magnetic stimulation to what's called a gyro stem. You strap them into a three point or five point harness and then you spin them in a direction that's specific to their level of injury and location of original injury or where the primary deficit is oh wow when you spin somebody in space you activate particular parts of the brain so we know when we know which area of the brain is affected the most and that's usually by diagnostics is um then we place the tr- the magnetic exactly where it needs to be we spin them in a particular direction exactly how they need to be we shock uh, different parts of the peripheral nervous system and the feet and the hands and the face to stimulate peripheral activation as well as central activation. Right? So central nervous system is brain and spinal cord. Peripheral nervous system is everything outside of that. And you want to be able to give information in both directions. Right. Um, so we walk them through these different stations in the neurorehab suite. And then oftentimes we'll use things in the infusion suite to accelerate and stack on various either cofactors and vitamin and mineral nutrient profiles, amino acid profiles, NAD, uh, which simulates cellular energy and improves cellular reserve, um, all the way up to things like ketamine. If there's a high overlap with chronic severe depression or chronic severe PTSD, because of the original injury, or maybe somebody that had PTSD and depression then had a traumatic brain injury, so we need to address both of them. And ketamine's amazing because it's good for hardware and software. It's good for uh, chronic severe depression, and it's good for rehabilitating um, brain trauma because it stimulates something called BDNF, or brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Oh, okay. And then we and then we might use all the way up to a level three or a tier three process, which is stem cells and exosomes. Exosomes being essentially stem cell growth. Value.
0: Oh wow! How how exactly do you um like how, how do you administer stem cells? Do they like into the brain or is it through the spinal cord? Or how does that work?
1: You can um, do the last thing that you mentioned, which is go straight into the spinal cord. That's called the intrathecal, where you essentially do a lumbar puncture, kind of like what women, many women get a lumbar puncture if they're going to get an epidural for childbirth. Okay. Right. So it's fairly, it's more non-invasive. It's more invasive than just like a straight IV because you're actually going into the, into the central nervous system. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's still a fairly low risk, uh, procedure when it's done well and, um, with surgical precision. But that being said, if you can get into the brain and the spinal cord without having to do a lumbar puncture, even better, because there's still the risk of infection and, and LP. You know, Anytime you're going into the central nervous system, there's, there's uh, some potential for either hitting the spinal cord itself or putting it in the wrong position or people having pain um, associated with the procedure. So we found that we can get into the brain by going through the sinuses.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. Best brain, best, most effective way into the brain, um, as far as something that would be absorbed in a non-invasive way would be through the sinuses. Basically you have somebody lay down, uh, in a reclined table at about a 30 degree angle with their feet higher than their head. And then looking straight up at the ceiling and you can. Uh, drip about a half a CC or about a half a milliliter of stem cells into each side of the nose and to about like a CC total and then leave them in that position for about 15 to 20 minutes while it's absorbing across the, it's called the olfactory bulbs or the, um, the smell uh, nerve roots.
0: Wow, and, so you, they don't even need a needle at all for that, right? And it's
1: because the top of the sinus is actually separated from the bottom of the brain through a super thin piece of bone called the cribriform plate. It's about the size of a piece of uh, laminated paper, so it's real thin and it essentially just absorbs straight across that membrane and it can get straight into the brain that way.
0: Wow. And do, um, have you guys been able to kind of track through studies the, the efficacy of that, that modality versus the, the direct injections?
1: Uh, well, if you direct stem cells, if you inject stem cells directly into the venous system, then they're going to go systemically. Which is great because stem cells essentially improve inflammation and kick in the body's natural repair mechanism. Right. But if you inject them systemically, they're going to get chewed up by the heart, the lungs, areas of active inflammation first before they
0: ever get to the brain. Okay. So you're not able to direct them quite as well, essentially. Right.
1: There are some centers outside of the country they're usually using more cell-specific lines. So stem cells essentially are blank canvases, but when you expand them and you start turning them into a particular tissue line, then they're more they're more clear about where they're going. It's kind of like if you have a navigation system and you haven't given it any information, it might just go wherever it wants to go.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If you start programming that navigation system to go in particular directions, then it has more of an idea of its endpoint. Okay. And yeah. So when the cell lines start to mature, and you, essentially you're adding things to that blank canvas, then they're more clear about where they're headed. Um, but those lines are not legal. Those cell lines are not legal in the states right now. Oh, really? Uh, they, they actually may never be. Um, but stem cell therapy right now is in this kind of like gray zone. Um, uh, but the benefits are pretty freaking amazing with what yeah. people, experience, especially with brain charm. We see people with really wrecked brains, not all the time. Sometimes people come in with mild post-incussive syndrome, but they're just tired of living suboptimally.
2: Mm-hmm. And sometimes
1: people have had major accidents and are para-quadriplegic, um, or because of an injury, they're having chronic pain, or a particular area of their brain was stroked, so they're in chronic pain all the time. And when when people are in that level of desperation, we need to use as many stackable therapeutics to accelerate the potential for their full recovery. And many people have gotten massive benefit by stacking on these kind of regenerative medicine tools on top of a functional neurology therapeutic foundation.
3: We'd like to briefly interrupt this interview to remind you that this podcast was made possible by listeners just like you. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash where you can watch the video version of this episode and all our podcast episodes. Plus, you'll gain access to over 500 videos of exclusive content including premium courses and behind the scenes peaks help us keep this information free by visiting patreon.com/psychetruth that's patreon.com/p s y c h e t r u t h
0: oh yeah absolutely um and i know you were you kind of had mentioned it earlier um talking about using like hyperbaric chambers and i know in the book, you also talk about utilizing things like float tanks, which is also pretty cool, especially because now it seems like um, there's a lot of centers kind of popping up all over the place that make using those kind of uh, modalities somewhat affordable um, for people you know, to go out and use if they, if, if they feel like that might be able to help them along this path to recovery, essentially.
1: Yeah, I think float tanks are amazing.
0: Yeah, that's Everybody
1: a- float. Right? There's no there's no contraindication, essentially. Even anxiety and claustrophobia is not a contraindication. A lot of people have been healed from claustrophobia by using a float tank with successive approximations getting deeper into the tank, spending time with the lid down for longer periods of time. You know, if you're in a float tank and you freak out, you can just get up, open the door, you're good. Mm-hmm. Um, but... It's, 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 it can be really helpful to, to get into the tank, leave the door open, feel the anxiety come up, start to work with your breath, get into greater experience of self-regulation, because flotation is essentially meditation on steroids. It's first time since conception, first time since we were conceived in this lifetime before that we're without environmental stimulants. So, even when we're in a womb as an infant, there's still light, there's still sound, there's still movement, vibration, gravity, proprioception, all those systems are starting to come online. And until we got into a floating tank, I, I, there's not really another environment or experience where we're out, where we're, we are without those levels of stimulus. So, the brain, most of what it's tracking is from the environment. And when it's not needed to track gravity, proprioception, vision, sound, et cetera, then it's more available to be in touch with a lot of the things that are happening on the subconscious level. So people are actually able to oftentimes get great levels of clarity if they're doing more of like an investigation uh, mind training process or simply work with meditative states. and progressive relaxation and breath practices to be able to help calm the nervous system down. Many people's experience with meditation is just trying to quiet the environment down so that they can work on getting aware of how (laughs) challenging it is to quiet their own minds down. Because our minds are always going at these crazy amounts of, um, frenetic energy because that's the culture that we live in now our culture's so fast information comes at us so fast and many people believe they don't have time for meditation and if you don't think you have time for meditation you probably need it the most
0: <laughs> absolutely
1: we just we need to have the offset and the ability to be fully present with each other, be fully present in our own lives, be fully present with what our minds running from or run or trying to run to. What are we fearful of, or what are we cra like the Buddha said, there's there's essentially two paths to suffering. There's the avoidance of what is, the fear of what is, and and the craving of what is not, or what we wish we had, <clears throat> as opposed to just being. Fully present in this now here moment, grateful for what is present, and being more clear on what's ours to do.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, and I think you had also mentioned, yeah, using meditation like that is, you know, it's another one of the methods that you methods that you talked about for, um, you know, treating and that whole path to healing. For these um, traumatic brain injuries as well. And even beyond that, obviously, I think, I I don't know if there's anyone on earth that can say, you know, I I don't need meditation. I feel like, like you said, especially in today's, you know, the culture, the way that with, you know, constant technological increases with social media, with instant television and all this just stuff, Always accessible at your hands, where you're never you never really have a free moment, you know you sit down, then you're on your phone, then you're watching t v then you're listening to music, there's always something going on, so I feel like all of that noise just makes it so much more difficult for us to like you said, kind of like quiet even our just the the noise of our brain, and I feel like that actually ends up leading to a lot of these issues like anxiety and things like that,
2: Mhm-,
1: yeah, absolutely. It's really hard for most of us in our culture to be quiet with our own thoughts Mm -hmm. and develop this witness perspective and and be really clear on what's motivating us prior to action or reaction. And part of that's because most of us are not taught how to do that as children. So we're trying to play catch up as adults. Children are not taught self-regulation strategies and mindfulness skills we're not taught that and we're not taught many things that would be really helpful to us in school but that's particularly one of them
0: yeah yeah absolutely um and then kind of kind of going back to a little bit of the the recovery with tbi and uh, but also kind of relating it to any you know forms of depression stress and anxiety um I know another thing you mentioned a lot in the book, which I thought was you know extremely helpful for a lot of people too, was just all of the different steps you can take in altering you know the the nutrition that you that you practice on a day to day basis, um, because it seems like that obviously as well plays such a huge part into making sure the entire system is is functioning properly. Um, so, I mean, m- could you maybe talk a little bit about? The nutritional aspect of not only just healing the brain but also making sure that the whole system is properly working to help enable your brain to function at its at its best
2: Mm -hmm. yeah there's an old
1: adage we are what we eat (laughs) right well we're we're quite a bit more than just that um but it's very true as well if we're Feeding our bodies and our brains junk, we're going to function like junk. And most people talk about feeling like crap, and it's because they are filled with crap and not detoxing or eliminating really well. And oftentimes that's because the standard American diet is full of crap. Mm -hmm. There's more and more processed foods. There's more and more chemical additives and ingredients. There's more and more stuff that goes into our food. That we don't understand the full physiologic ramifications of. And you could say that in our environment in general, our water system, our the water table itself, fracking, you know, there's com- consistently more toxic loads in our physical and our mental environments that we're constantly trying to discharge and get rid of. And so if we're just keeping it to the conversation of nutrition, it's really hard to heal the brain without the adequate uh, building block. And I was a raw vegan for five years while I was trying to heal my last, my last single, my sixth concussion. And um, I was trying that diet on for a variety of reasons. Because I knew that it was a good cleansing diet, I wanted to see if it was a good maintenance diet,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. and um, and what I found is that both of those are true. (laughs) It's a good (laughs) cleansing diet. It can be a good maintenance diet for about five to maybe ten percent of people, maybe ten, but the vast majority of people would not do well long term on a raw vegan diet, right? And also not so helpful for brain recovery, because it doesn't give a lot of the amino acids that are necessary to drive neurologic recovery and repair. And I did everything that I could, including, including spending up to $1,000 a month on supplements, trying to figure out if I could still crack that code with a raw vegan diet in place and just supplement on top of that and still couldn't. And once I started bringing in eggs, And fish, again, I felt an immediate acceleration of my neurologic recovering potential. So, I I appreciate everybody's dietary choices. And ideally, we're doing that with as much mindfulness to sustainability and as much awareness of how our choices impact um, the food chain itself. Mm -hmm. For example, soil depletion is a global issue. And there's more and more uh, land usage for cattle and clear-cutting for palm oil and these choices that every one of our meals involves. And so I tend to think on how are we optimizing our diet for our own health and recovery, as well as how are we optimizing our own diet for our planet's health and recovery. Right. And I think if we're not looking at the bigger picture, then we're, we're only looking at, you know, a small aspect of how we influence our collective. And and we've gotten ourselves into a bit of a sticky situation because most of us aren't thinking globally.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's not going to be tolerated for much longer. So, Building blocks for the brain good fats, anti inflammatory foods, uh, neuroreparative and neuroprotective foods. Um, We could get into more of the specifics on what those foods are for antioxidants, but there's some reasonable information out there, and you just have to kind of know where to look. Um, Bright colored foods tend to be really high in antioxidants, so your berries. Um, your low glycemic fruits, um, and generally the basics that just make sense, eat close to nature, try and eat in season organically as much as possible. If you can grow your own food, even better, uh, have a rotational diet. That's why we're trying to eat in season, um, eat mostly plants, but eat a good portion of amino acid rich foods that are usually in a protein source. And oftentimes that is animal based. Um, People can't, people that do tolerate dairy. Well, goats better than cow. Mm -hmm. And you really want to make sure that you're using organic foods, particularly as, as it relates to dairy. Um, And then make sure that, what you're eating feels good because it can make sense on paper, but if it doesn't feel good in your body, or if you're trying to go from a standard American diet to like a full on raw vegan diet, I tried that. (laughs) I, I I switched it in a matter of about two days and my hormones tanked, my energy tanked. And my energy was pretty low for five years because I just tried to stay with it. I mean, I was so committed. Um, it's It wasn't the most mindful way to go about it, but um, that was my choice. And I wanted to see how it was going to work. And now I'm pretty clear, like, we have to be able to pace our systems to make those transitions over time. And just because a particular dietary approach works for one person doesn't mean it's what I need because my metabolic capacity is different. My metabolic rate is different, my oxidation rate is different. All these factors go into how quickly I process foods or how slowly I process foods, how well I would do with a high carb diet, or how well I would do with a low-carb diet. So generally the things that are good for the nervous system are low carbs, more ketogenic. You don't have to be strict keto, um, but really good fats, moderate degree of protein, um, high in the vegetable arena. And relatively low carbs.
0: Yeah. I feel like that's, that, that diet has, um, or I guess not necessarily that diet, but that kind of ideology of lowering our carb intake seems to have really kind of started to become a lot more popular for a lot of people. Um, and I, I think another point that you made that is also really important is just to make sure that, like you said, you're, you're kind of listening to your body and make sure that that, Whatever diet choice you're going with does actually work for you because like you said, I mean, we're all we're all different. So some people might be able to handle certain diets better than others. And, you know, everyone might just need a little bit different diet to really experience the full benefits of whatever it may be. So it it seems like really listening to your body and like you said, kind of taking it slow. I mean, I can't imagine I don't know how you were able to go from a, a standard American diet straight into Full raw vegan for five years—that's pretty amazing. <laughs> uh,
1: well, it it oftentimes wasn't pretty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there were times where I was pale and pasty and low energy, and but it was really good for my heart and my mind because mm-hmm. um, I was getting into more meditation. I lived in the ashram for two years. Um, I was studying Buddhism and nonviolence, and it was just a- a- everything else that was going on in my life at that time. Um, but it was so, I also got really righteous and was really judgmental about people that were still eating animals and not mindfully. And I had a lot of criticism. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, so I kind of had this righteousness pedestal that I was standing on. Mm-hmm. Got rid of my guns and fishing gear because I used to, I grew up hunting and, and now I, I started hunting again and oh, cause good. I wanted cause I, I noticed that meat, Works better for my system. Mm-hmm. I've tried uh, as many ways as I can figure out the other way, but meat works better for healing my brain. And um, and then I realized, you know, if I'm going to eat meat, then I want to close the. Cer- I want to close the loop. Mm-hmm. I want to get back into a right relationship with hunting, and I really. So I got into bow hunting and um, a close to the ground kind of approach, so that I could feel it. And um, it's been a really amazing practice for me. Ultimately, I want to get into a place where I know that I know where all my right now, I still know where all my meat comes from. Mm -hmm. Unless I'm out at a restaurant if I'm traveling. Um, But I go to the farmer's market and I know the farmers and I know how they raise their animals. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I think if we know where our food comes from and we trust the source, we start growing our own food and we slow down. We get into slow eating instead of fast eating and slow, more slowed pace of living to counterbalance the work that we're here to do in the fast pace of our culture, then I think we'll find that the epidemics of psychiatry and neurology and and just these chronic disease symptom clusters start to just naturally uh realign themselves because we get back into the ways that we're blueprinted for optimal health. And we kind of, as a culture, got way away from that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. And I mean, you said it really well right there, just about trying to slow down. And, you know, almost every aspect of life that has really been sped up from fast food to fast information to just constant work, driving down the road 89 miles an hour. Um, You know, all this craziness, I think, everybody can benefit from just slowing down, you know, all those things and really starting to, like you said, become a little bit more mindful and that can really start to realign everything.
2: Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent.
0: Absolutely. Um, well, yeah, I'm, I know, um, I only have you, you know, for an hour. So, um, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on Dr. Ann, and talking about all this stuff with me. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, throughout this podcast, hopefully everyone's got their pen and paper out or are listening well, because there's a lot of really cool stuff in here that, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to try and implement it to my own life as well. Um, I'm still trying to slow down, you know, every day. Um, but thank you again. And, uh, I know obviously you have, you know, you, you've written the book, the concussion repair manual, so people can get that on Amazon if they're more interested in that. Um, is there, I know you have a website. Do you want to let people know your website or any other ways that they can follow you for more information?
1: Uh, yeah, you can find me at drdanengle.com, D-R-D-A-N-E-N-G-L-E.com. Fullspectrummedicine.com is an education advocacy platform for psychedelic medical research and the way that many of these medicines are good for psychiatric conditions that are in epidemic proportions today. Uh, revive Centers, plural, R-E-V-I-V-E-C-E-N-T-E-R-S dot com, is our neurologic recovery facility here outside of Denver. And uh, then you mentioned the Concussion Repair Manual dot com.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on, man. I really appreciate it, um, and it was awesome yeah, to get talk welcome. to
1: you. Yeah,
0: I look forward to the next conversation. Yeah, definitely. All right.
1: Okay.
3: The Wellness Plus Podcast, copyright 2018, Target Public Media, LLC, all rights reserved.